This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, it's 6 a.m. on a wet Monday, and I do believe it is the 8th of August, so it's 8 8. Fat, fat. fat we fat. are all going to get lucky today, aren't we? I don't think so, <laughs> just because it's 8 8. I tell you who's going to get lucky. Ooh. Lazada and Shopee because they're definitely so going to <laughs> Zalora all these guys right I can even see the front page of the star Watson's is also having an 8-8 eight, eight celebration so I think lots of companies are taking advantage of this nice number to have promos but who's not going to be lucky it's actually us because we're going to be spending our money no <laughs> yeah well it's lucky for us that we can spend our money we're so blessed that, to be able to impart that, our cash this, this mega e-commerce okay. but did you know wait actually, before I forget hmm. and that voice is Philip C oh. and I'm Wong Xiaomi, and this is the morning run. If you're wondering who's on this airways in this at this time of the day, oh, they don't care who we are, honestly. But I hope in, they do. Uh, no, they don't. Well, look, the eight number is very interesting because it's not only considered lucky and prosperous for the Chinese, but also for the Japanese, and apparently for the Pythagorean numerology. Number eight represents victory, prosperity, and overcoming. So I think we, this is going to be a great want. day ahead. All the things we want on the morning run, uh, but as usual, we have a very super packed day. At 7.15, we're going to start about the updates on the amendments to the anti-stalking law with Yu Ren Chong. He's the Deputy Executive Director at the Women's Aid Organisation. Then at 7.30, what's happening, Philip? Uh, yeah, and did you know that 8th of August is also ASEAN's anniversary? It turns 55. Okay. Right? I, I dare not ask what we have accomplished, but please continue. <laughs> well, and he's going to meet this time in Cambodia because the ASEAN Forum Ministers are going to converge there. And they're going Aren't to they just, there already? They're there already. They are there already, but there are many yes. issues that they're going to discuss. And we're going to get Isa Ibrahim, analyst of Foreign Policy and Security Studies Program at ISIS Malaysia, to get her perspective on whether any tangible outcomes will arise from that meeting. Fun fact: Did you know Anthony Blinken, who is the Secretary of State in the US, was there, and so was Wang Yi, the yes. Chinese Foreign Minister? That's true. And so apparently, a, he walked out from the banquet dinner as I well. I know it was a bit of a bit of a big powwow going on there, mm. and slighting going on here there. Then at seven forty-five, they say you can't avoid taxes and death. So let's find out what these new taxes that you need to be aware of are with Centuran Elalingam. He's the indirect tax partner at Deloitte. Then at 8.30, what's We're happening? We're going to touch on Nordic folklore. No apologies. We're going to talk about trolls because that's but what which you... which are Nordic folklore. They are also why? Nordic folklore as well. But this one particularly is a bit more insidious because you find them in social media. We speak to Alexander Wang, Managing Director of Soya Chinchow, to find out how they operate and why Meta is trying to uncover them all. Ooh, very interesting. All this and more on the morning run. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, 6.07 on a wet Monday, 8th of August. And that was Yellow by Coldplay. Did you know this band was formed in uh, during Chris Martin's time at UCL College in London? I see. Well, you know what I'm wondering is why did they call it Yellow, the song? Why can't they have another colour? I don't know. We need to do a bit of digging, Philip. Why do they call it yellow? But I love this band. I really do. Yeah, it's, it's one of my nice. favourite bands. Uh, okay, what it related to the story about London. This is about the city of London, isn't it? You yes, chose this, Philip. I chose this story. Is it an ominous one? Do you see something happening uh, in do. the horizon for, for people around you or for you? <laughs> <laughs> for me, probably. <laughs> I, I Personally, I'm quite happy to get the great psyching because okay. honestly, I'm pretty like burnt out. So I'm happy to be, you know, to get the great psyching just to inform my bosses out there it's okay you know to, you want to sack me i'm fine but this is no, the point no don't say that okay we won't sack you here we I will know, be uh, you're very welcome to be on as 
many Thank times you. a week as possible. Um, okay, some context before they're thinking, what are these two people rambling on about? It's enti- it's a Bloomberg article entitled The Great Resignation Could Be the Great Sacking. Ooh, because all right, it's a bit like transition inflation. Yes. Remember that? It was like yes. hot, 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 hot. That was a term of 2021. Then 20, another term was the great resignation. Hot, 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 hot. <laughs> Guess what? 2022 might be the new term, might be great resignation. Uh, well, great sacking. Well, I me. picked this article like end of last week and I kind of regret not picking this article simply Why? because... Why? You don't want to give messages to your bosses? Well, it? no, I'm. that's different because the US reported really like blockbuster numbers, isn't it, on Friday? Yeah. They added about 528,000 jobs. So it does seem that there is quite a lot of openings still in the US, although what we're seeing is that unemployment claims have also risen in the United States. But in the UK especially, which has really bore the brunt and many already, even the Bank of England was really willing to call out that it would be a long and protracted recession. Yeah, you're talking about inflation hitting, what, 13%? Exactly. I've never heard of that. I mean, this is like not in my lifetime, 13%. Not in anyone's lifetime, I think, this uh, 13% inflation. So the UK is, I think, ahead of the pack in terms of this doom and gloom scenario. And that's where what struck me, right, where it probably is a very interesting indicator of what will happen globally as well, because it was also one of the first countries to raise raise interest rates uh, and also hike interest rates, right? So I think what is happening here in this conversation now shifting away from this rate resonation to the sacking it's a very telling sign that perhaps what we might see is a bit of a more challenging environment for the employment side. And so for me, especially in, in Europe, just observing the discussions taking place, especially in the aviation industry and across all industries, right? these negotiations with unions, you're beginning to see actually unions capitulate and agree that, hey, I'm okay to sign the deal now because I think people are feeling the, the sense that, hey, it's going to be very tough, right? Mm. So better to secure the job now rather than try and hold uh, employers uh, by the neck and throat, essentially. Yeah, okay. So let's let's uh, look at the UK specifically, yeah. all right? So let's ground ourselves with some uh, macroeconomic data to get a sense of what's happening. So if we look at Bloomberg, right? They are forecasting unemployment to be 3.9% in the UK, which is extremely low. Yeah. Because I think historically, it's always been hovering around 5% or 4%, 4.6%. But actually, it rises in the next year to 4.3%. Ha! Huh. So it's true. Uh, you know, there'll be more people unemployed. And at the same time, you're talking about GDP declining. So last year, in 2021, it was 9.3% and then became 3.4% this year. That's the forecast. And then it drops to 0.6% for 2023. So if I'm just a simple company, right? Uh, mm. Let's say I'm not simple, I'm Goldman Sachs. I've always wanted to be the boss of Goldman Sachs. <laughs> but let's say I'm the boss of Goldman Sachs, right? And I'm looking at this forecast and I'm thinking to myself... GDP 3.4% and then next year drop to 0.6%. Why would I want to hire more people? You know what I mean? Just these headline numbers scare me, right? And CPI, 8.6% this year. You know, it's going to be so hard for me to pass on this cost to to my rich clients, even though I've got rich clients and I'm going to see margin compression, right? So what's the one thing I can control? Cost. So I'm just not going to hire I'm just going to, if anything, allow attrition to happen yes. and then maybe get rid of contractual non-essential stuff. I think that's what's going to happen. I, I, you know, that's why for me, I do think the unemployment figures or employment numbers are a bit deceiving because the nature of our job market has changed 
you know, structurally, right, since the last few decades, we're seeing a lot of people now take on more contract work. Of course, you're talking about gig economy. You're seeing part-times. Actually, even in the Asian culture, instead of letting go of people, you rather dock pay. Yeah. You know, that's the general cultural sense here, right? We don't really let go of people as much as what Partially we Partially because our human uh, human resource laws are very strong strict. F- yeah, f- with regards to employees. They protect the employees. That's right. So what happens then is people transition towards gig, part-time. And that's why I think what's more important is to look at productivity of employee as opposed to the actual number. Mm. And if you bring it closer to home in Malaysia, you see this whole conversation about pay for gig workers, especially last Friday, there was that blackout for food delivery. I think this is a sign that, you know, pay is actually putting a lot of pressure on those part-timers and gig economy workers as opposed to those full-timers. And so... Because cost of living is real. Cost of living is super real. And and I do think that this number is a bit of a not a not an accurate reflection and I don't think it's a lagging this. indicator also it's somewhat, a lagging right? indicator apparently uh, you know unemployment and this peak in the midst of the recession not at the start of the recession and for us especially in Malaysia I don't think we will see that great sacking but you're right we will probably see the great attrition we yep. just won't replace people yeah, for sure. But anyway, looking at Bloomberg, they're just expecting unemployment this year to be 3.9% and then drop to 3.7%. But I, I don't know whether that figure will change dramatically if our economy literally yeah. slows down, right? So everybody is just going to be more careful in terms of hiring. Uh, I think that's going to be inevitable. Uh, if I'm a company and I can see margin compression, that's the first thing I'm going to do. But let me know what you think. Let us Well, let us know what you think. Tell us if your company is really stopping uh, hiring for the moment? Are they being more careful? Do you find the economic conditions weakening around you? You can tweet in at BFM Radio, that's our handle, or WhatsApp in 018-789-8899. We'll be back after some messages. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. That was Flashlight by Parliament. It is 6.20, Monday the 8th of August. And by the way, Parliament is in recess at the moment, so there won't be, um, there hopefully no flashlights going on there. Uh, but as usual, at this time of the morning, that was so corny, the joke. It was. It was. Uh, we are looking at all the interesting stories that cross our eye. And uh, Philip C. chose this article too. Is it a homage to me because it's about fashion? Not that I have much fashion sense, but... Yes, it was partly that. It was also partly inspired by Nancy Pelosi's visit down last week to Malaysia and Taiwan because many of us were struck by her pink power suit. Ah, yes. So there were two things that dominated her visit, right, in Asia. One was Taiwan, 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 Taiwan. Oops, is she going? Oops, isn't she going? Oops, is she going? And then, oops, she did go. So, and then after that, lots and lots of geopolitical tensions as a result. But I think the other headline was exactly what you said, Philip. It was the pink suit, which even got an article in CNN entitled Why Nancy Pelosi's Pink Suit in Taiwan Was More Than a Power, More Than a than Power Dressing. I mean, she landed in Taipei Airport in the pitch black and she just dark, came dark. out f- dark, right? She came out in this bright pink suit. It was really a statement to be made, isn't it? I mean, she basically... I think wowed everybody and she was really the centre of attention. I think it was intentional as well, that suit. Uh, and I, you know, it got me thinking a lot about how we dress and why sometimes the way we dress represents what we think, what we say, right? It is that. It is very political, mm. the way we dress, right? It reflects our mood, our attitude, our characters. But I also 
perhaps think that it also reflects our stance. So when I saw this pink power suit, I was like, oh, is it Breast Cancer Awareness Month? No. <laughs> so I was like, so... It's October, I was, I'm not wrong. Exactly. So I was so lame, right? Because I was thinking about what the significance is about the suit. Whether the colour means anything, whether the cut is... Because, you know, like Hillary Clinton, we always think about those pantsuits mm-hmm. or even Michelle Obama with those sleeveless shirts. sleeveless she dresses. Yeah, yeah because to show off her very buff arms. Buff arms, right? So yeah. these are all kind of reflecting your style and character, but also reflects a bit of your your perspective, right, about how you think about power and such. Yeah. Well, actually, Nancy Pelosi rarely entertains questions about her style choice. Uh, when, when reporters do ask her, this, is, this was something that the CNN reports. But you're right. I think fashion, how you dress, especially when you're a woman of power, you're a woman of... Uh, significance, you're in the media limelight, definitely you pick your outfits carefully. It's curated. Nothing is by chance. Nothing is by chance. Because to be honest, you have a whole bunch of people looking after you from a PR perspective, right? So whether it is your corporate comms, your media advisor, your public you know, your public relations, they all have a say about your personality, your your aura, and that dressing is so much part of that aura. So why did she choose that pink suit? Because maybe, hey, I'm a woman, I'm here to be noticed. You can't miss me. And even though pink is a feminine power, by her choosing to wear it, she is showing that she has embraced this feminine power and she's not afraid to be seen. She's not afraid. It got me thinking about how do men then reflect their power through what they wear. I mean, I'm really the worst example. I'm wearing a grey shirt with blue denim jeans. And your ever-loving Birkenstocks. Excuse me, that's not the point anyway. So the, the question here for me is, I was thinking about how men actually show their power, which is actually not much, to be honest. I think they do. That's why men... It's only the socks they wear then. No, no. I think the other thing are very fashion-conscious... Uh, status symbol is of course your watch nowadays men just you know it's all about the you know the Rolex the the Patek Philips uh, APs that's how men show off, show off their status because they can't wear, you know, well, they can. I have seen rappers wear gold, but usually men don't wear so much jewelry, Well, right? Well, the contemporary men leaders we see like Barack Obama, they're mm. like, oh, I didn't want to have like one set of suits, right? Yeah, or even brothers. Brooke Brooke brothers. Brothers. Or even Mark Zuckerberg with his white shirt and, and pants. Grey shirt and pants or whatever it is, right? But it's so bland. Perhaps that blandness also reflects power. Yeah, because I don't care. I, I can don't wear care. whatever I can wear I want. Whatever I want. Yeah, I can wear this grey t-shirt to meet the president of America and he'll still open the doors for me because I'm Mark Zuckerberg. Exactly. So I wonder whether sometimes for, you know, when we think about dressing, non-dressing is also a sign of power that I can actually dictate what I want, that it's beyond how I look and wear, but what I say and do that actually matters more. I, 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 And this is where I feel that's the challenge, right, between men and women. Why do women need to have this power dressing to reflect or show power, essentially? Well, maybe we, it's Is a, that the gap we see there? Yeah, and maybe it's a bit of biasness because women are expected to look a particular way, yes. right? So I, I will admit there is a so, lot of societal pressure for women to, you know, always dress in a particular way, speak in a particular way, move in a particular way, uh, and that hair should be in a particular style, your lipstick should never be so bright. There are all these rules written by society, which honestly you should just put in your hand and throw it out the window. And maybe that's why, that's the goal is, right? Hopefully in the future, we don't need to have conversations like this about her power suit going forward because it's just part of her power. Yeah, and but I, I for one, as you all know, I love fashion. Yeah. And I think that fashion should still be fun. It should still be reflective of your personality. You should dress the way you feel and if that makes you feel better, go ahead for it. But no one should be the one to tell you how to dress, what you think when you wear that outfit. Like my Birkenstocks. (laughs) 
Let us know what you think. You can tweet in at BFM Radio or you can WhatsApp in 018-789-8899. Do you think fashion maketh the man? Let us know what you think. Up next is, of course, the 6.30am news bulletin. And to take us there, our sisters are doing it for themselves by Aretha Franklin and the Eurythmics. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. 6.40, a wet Monday, 8th of August. And you're, of course, you're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Wong Shaoning together with Philip C. And that song was Right On Time by... Metronomy, which is what we are. We are always right on time. Uh, that's our job. Uh, but as usual, at this time of the morning, we are looking at all the international headlines that are crossing the news wires, portals and the newspapers. Philip, as usual, you're raring to go. So why don't you start? <laughs> well, I think over the weekend and I think on Friday, we saw a whole series of economic data coming out from China. The number that struck me was China's IPO market because as Bloomberg reported, really it delivered a record $58 billion boom, I think so far year to date. And if you compare the numbers, right, China $57.8 billion versus US only $19.1 billion and Europe $9.9 billion. Wow. Yes. So China seems to have defied headwinds such as rising interest rates and a fear of a recession. And really, they have been taking the lead in terms of equity fundraising. Well, isn't this also partially driven because um, there is this... Oh, what did you drop, Philip? Yeah, the, the newspaper. The, the, the edge, right? Because yeah. it's so heavy. It's so heavy. <laughs> I, well, I think it's driven by China. Well, this US-China trade tensions, right? And US saying, look, if you want to list in the US, mm. you need to disclose all these accounts to us. Otherwise, we'll delist you. And we're seeing that for, you know, fight uh, over Alibaba, for example. So, and of course, so now Chinese companies are like, uh, we're not going to be A-listed anymore. Yep. Let's just list in China. Or, or in Hong Kong, whether it's Shanghai, Shenzhen. So that probably results in why the IPO market is so hot. It's also just a growing economy. It's also a growing economy, although there is some wor- worries that that's why they're doing it now because they feel like the window will be narrowing, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, as we as we expect to see more COVID flare-ups in China in the end of the year. So as a result, I think people are rushing to, I think, raise capital. Also now. before interest rates go up, right? Exactly. Because uh, risk... It's still slightly risk on, but I don't know whether that, you know, that risk off will start emerging very soon. It's already beginning to be seen in the fixed income market and equity markets. So people hold back in terms of whether they want to participate in IPO. So everybody's rushing out of the door. Uh, the other news that has just crossed uh, wires is Senate passes Democratic Landmark Tax Climate's Drug Bill. So this was passed and it was a slimmed down version of Joe Biden's domestic agenda, which he announced when he wanted to become the President of the United States. So this is a, a Bloomberg story. I think it's actually yep. across every newspaper. I mean, you say slimmed down, significant slimmed down because initially it was $6 trillion. Now this bill is only $437 billion. And if you look at the backstory, Story to get to this bill, so much infighting among the Democrats, yeah, especially two of them, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, who are considered moderate uh, Democrats. So, really, to just get this passed, slimmed down significantly, four hundred thirty-seven billion, the Democrats had to do something because in a couple of months' time they have the midterm elections, and really they cannot be positioned to be doing nothing party. Yeah, and it was such a wafer, wafer thin vote because in the Senate, um, the vote was actually passed with. 51 Democrats in favour of 50 Republicans and Vice President Kamala Harris had to cast a tie-breaking vote after an overnight marathon of votes on amendments. So now it goes to the House where the Democratic majority is expected to pass it 
in Friday. But I think this is significant because Joe Biden, like you say, needs to show that he's still the man in power, especially with midterms coming out in November. At the same time, right, his ratings are one of the lowest ever for sitting presidents, yes. if not I, the lowest. I guess more importantly for me as a question is what is how does it impact markets? You know, because there's a lot of conversations about Medicare. There's also a lot of conversations about energy bills. So are we going to see the pharma companies really be the big losers? Are we going to see the winners being the auto, the EV makers like Tesla and all that benefit from that? So very keen to see how this bill translates into market activity in the next two to three days. Yeah, but the other thing that the bill doesn't address, which is actually this 15% global minimum tax deal that the Treasury Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen had been negotiating with 140 countries and increasing that 10,000 US dollar cap on state and local tax deductions. So they are not going to do it, but we are going to do it. And it's a conversation we'll have with Santuran Ella Lingam. He's the indirect tax partner at Deloitte because Malaysia has signed up to it and we're supposed to implement it in 2023. But very quickly, there is a ceasefire going on in uh, in Palestine. And a bit of good news because this is after, I think, uh, Israel launched a bomb, uh, yeah. a series of bombs. So Gaza, there's a bit of a truce going on there between Israel and Islamic Jihad after days of fighting reported in uh, The Guardian. And this, sorry, it's in the Gaza Strip, this this uh, ceasefire. Yeah, with the support of the Egyptians, I think, who basically were the mediators here. Let's see how long that lasts, hopefully longer than we hope. Uh, up next, we've got some messages. Uh, keep it here, BFM 89.9. And there was another one, Bites the Dust by Queen. It is 6.50 Monday, the 8th of August, and you're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Wong Shaoning, together with Philip C. And maybe what has bitten the dust is this KLIA fiasco, right? Shall we talk about that first? <laughs> Let's talk about that. This is an issue about, I think, the PSD Attorney General purportedly berating the immigration officer in public at the airport because there was no one manning the immigration counters for VIPs at the KLIA. So I think this really caught a lot of our attention because it went all the way up to cabinet and now there's some investigation or study taking place. Why? Involving senior officials over Why? this this relatively public spat. I And the committee members are, you know, they're like the Inspector General <laughs> of Police, Auditor General, MACC, Chief Commissioner. And she, uh, yeah, why, why, why I are don't we, understand why yes. so many senior people, and it had to even go up to cabinet for deliberation. This is, I think, what struck me as a very interesting story. Mm, yes, and this is being reported in... Uh, Malaysia Kini. So we'll be following why is the government so, or at least the powers that be are so interested in this. Yeah, so I mean, the PSD Attorney General, I think he's a relatively new appointee in February as well. I, I wonder whether this has any repercussions, right? Whether there's some also underlying issues happening there. As we see, right, there's been so much discussion about pay and all that also among civil servants. As we see, right, rising cost of life and living makes it, put a lot, puts a lot of pressure on everybody as well. Well, well, we'll watch this space. Now, staying on the political front, this is being reported in the Singapore Straits Times. Now, there was there was a lot of uh, talk, uh, allegations that uh, our finance minister, uh, Tunku Zafru, will bring forward the budget, call mm. uh, t- basically call parliament in earlier in September versus October, which when it's supposed to start, and then table the budget early in September, and then hence we'll have... Um, elections in November. This is all alleged, 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 alleged speculation. 
Well, the Singapore Straits Times says that uh, he now denies budget will be brought forward to allow an early election. Uh, if you look at the, the dates set by Parliament, it's supposed to be the last Friday, which is October 28th, is still scheduled to be tabled on that day. I, I wonder, I think everyone is just like wondering, right, what's happening? Is election going to take place this year or next year? That's still really the big question mark. And of course, it's all impinged on the budget. You know, we've heard speculations that it must be done in October because it's monsoon season from November to March. So that, that window is out from November to March. So really the options are September, October this month or this year or next year will be April onwards, right? Because you have yeah. up to June, July next year to get it done. Uh, the latest, latest, latest you can have it done is actually September 2023, yes. right? Uh, uh, but against this backdrop was on Saturday, Prime Minister Datu Sri Ismail Sabri waved away concerns that PN, uh, the largest coalition his government, may pull away for support due to unle- alleged, alleged unfair treatment, insisting that he was ready to face an election if necessary. That's right. He earlier said that if PN did pull out, they would call for an election very soon. Then I think about a couple of hours later or 24 hours later, he did say, look, the support among PN that to pull out from the government is a minority view at the moment. So really, I think the next 48 to 72 hours could be very interesting to see what is the position of Perikatan, right? Whether they will be withdrawing their support to the Prime Minister in view that there's still the MOU taking place. Uh, is it well, I'm confused because on one hand you have Ismail Sabri saying, uh, Amno has said that the MOU won't be extended. Then uh, at the same time he also says, uh, but we still have reform agenda to carry out. Who says it's, it's being suspended? Uh, and then we have uh, Anwar Ibrahim saying, no, 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 it's still going on, it's still going on. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Um, but actually, if you're interested, at 9.30, uh, Shazana Mokhtar will be speaking to the editor of, uh, well, at least the Malaysian Bureau Chief of the Singapore Straits Times, Shana Teo himself, about what's going on on the Malaysian political scene. So do tune in. That's going to be happening at 9.30 a.m. It's going to be an interesting conversation. And I also just want to give a quick props up to H Weekly because if you look on page 10, there's this whole discussion about the literal combat ship issues, the LCS issue. Now, the infographic there is really good in terms of how they lay out the contract planning timelines and also the status of each of the six literal combat ships, right? What's the progress of construction for each? As you know, so much mudslinging taking place in the past he few said, days. He said, she said, He said, she said, who's actually, involved? He said, he said, he said, he said. There's no she said. <laughs> exactly. I think Anwar Ibrahim was actually called for a detailed investigation. Of course, Hisham Mudin was saying it's like our defence minister has said, no, I think we are going to do another investigation. I think it's all political, politically driven calls by Anwar Ibrahim and such. So really interesting developments taking place on the LCS issue. And really look at the Edge Weekly for that very interesting infographic there. And, and, highlight, we're going to talk to the PSC chairman himself, uh, sorry, uh, Parliamentary Select Com- Committee Chairman Wong Kar Wall. He's going to be on air tomorrow. So do tune in for that. I think his call is probably going to be 7.45 a.m. But up next, we've got the uh, 7 a.m. news bulletin. And to take us out is... The Way by Fastball. Keep it here, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.